If you didn't get a chance to listen to the uh, special program, WLIW's uh, Exploring Hate on Eastern Long Island, uh, also with the WNET group, I've got uh, all of our participants back together. And I got to tell you, uh, everybody here has certainly been very passionate about what they do. All are on the front lines in this battle of dealing with hate. And I just kind of want to open things up here a little bit more because uh, people certainly have a lot to talk about. Once again, we have Eric Post who's the regional director uh, from Long Island for the American Jewish Committee, uh, chaplain Sana Nadim with the Stony Brook Interfaith Center, uh, Elaine Gross, the executive director of Erase Racism, Frank Mieck, Mieck, uh, who was a former white supremacist, neo-Nazi and skinhead, skinhead and gang member, and now is on the front lines of eradicating hate. Thank goodness for him. And of course, last but not least, my good friend, uh, William Bill Kiley, a retired Suffolk County deputy chief, as well as an author that deals with children's books. And they're wonderful. And when you contact him, you can find out more about that. In fact, I want him to talk about that in this uh, particular extended version. Uh, and I just want to welcome everybody back. Listen, uh, you know, I, I, I just want to open this thing up again to uh, a situation as a journalist uh, that I feel is quite daunting. You know, back in the day, I guess I'm kind of dating myself when I first started uh, journalism. You know, you basically had three major uh, uh, outlets, um, and you know who they are. And then, of course, the advent of cable TV, and now you have uh, literally hundreds of, of places where you can get your information from. And a lot of it is simply not good. Uh, with that being the case, and I just want to open this up to everybody, how do you deal with educating people that may want to watch programs like this and who should, but maybe watching the wrong thing and you really can't get through to them because they're so cauterized by what they have been uh, indoctrinated with? How, how do you change that? Anyway, I'm going to open up. Well, one of the things we do with our uh, workshops and educational programs uh, is to help people move through the process of you received an incomplete education in your K through 12 years. And so we want to try to fill in some of those gaps. And it, it works. I mean, people who participate and engage, they begin, you know, the light bulb goes off. But not everybody is going to come to several sessions. And so I think we all have to get better with the, um, the public communication that we have in all of its forms, whether it's social media, whether it's uh, flyers, uh, whatever it is. We have to make sure that we're welcoming people in. That doesn't mean that you tell lies. But it means that you try to help them see how this is to their advantage. Uh, we have a cage of, of oppression. And we say, you know, nobody wants to be in a cage. Even if you're one of the ones that are, are privileged, you don't want to be in a cage. We need to dismantle that. And I think that that's, the, um, that's one thing that, that helps is to bring people along in their education because they really didn't get a very complete education. None of us did in our case. Yeah. 
and, and that, 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 that's certainly key. And, you know, I just want to further that point by, by you know, I'm certainly not a fatalist. You know, I'm, I'm also a lay minister, so I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist in, in many ways. and I'm a man of faith. But I'm just wondering for some people, you know, when Jesus sent the disciples off to, to spread the good word, and he says, well, look, you know, if they uh, turn you away, just dust off your feet and keep walking. My question is to all of you, is there a point of no return where there are some people that are so cauterized with hate that you can't reach them. Frank, I want to direct that to you first because you obviously went through a transformation. Uh, give us some insight into that, if you will. Okay. Um, yes. Every, everyone, any, any human being, I used to, I've broken every commandment. I, I, I mean... Welcome to the club. <laughs> right. And so... Um, what I know is that I was as extreme as I can get. You know, I kidnap people, so just know that people can change. It really can happen. And that um, when when we're talking about change somebody now, when I see someone who's constantly watching Fox News, a family, I sometimes I I do have to life and because I just can't have that in my life as a spiritual growth but I know that they're there and I love them very much and I don't leave them if they ever want to talk to me of course I will talk to them but what I like to do is I like to show them things like uh, you know if they're talking about news and how this and that say hey did you know that in Philadelphia in 1985 the police dropped a bomb on a black community did you know that and I'm like no because nobody knows about that story and then you pull up the story right and you say see this is kind of stuff's been happening and then later on hopefully you set a seed that when they see some more maybe police brutality or something they go oh that's like Frank was saying and maybe it opens up the key but you don't jam it down their throats you have to do it with love you have to be kind I even trip sometimes and want to yell you idiot but I can't because I have to be kind um, uh, to them and but I have them what I know and that's the best way and to do it with a loving and kind way is, is, the, is the end result of everything for, for me Martin Luther King said uh, uh, some time ago that you can't drive out darkness with dark you can only drive it out with light and that's the same thing when it comes to love uh, I think that the issue for a lot of people is patience or maybe uh, for those who are dealing with these kinds of issues, with you folks who are on the front lines, but I guess the issue of indifference uh, and apathy is that rules the day for a lot of other folks. You know, um, Eric, we, we, we talked prior to this broadcast, uh, you know, a bit, and, you know, the issue of anti-Semitism uh, has been with us, well, since the beginning of time, for the most part. Uh, but recently, it's more multifaceted because we have a political aspect, and we were talking about that. So when you when you you deal with what's going on over, say, for instance, uh, the conflict when the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and Israel, uh, you put the political factor in, then you really have a a uh, oh I can't say anything other than a hot mess. Um, how do you um, untangle all of that and get people to understand you can have differences, but you don't have to bring hate into the equation? And thank you, Julian. It's a good question. And no doubt the, the conflict between Hamas and Israel um, was very divisive. Um, in our country, there's people who have different opinions, and that's fine. I think what we try to lead with in our conversations, we have something called the Muslim Jewish Advisory Council, uh, which brings together Muslim and Jewish leaders from around the country uh, to unite on issues that we agree with on combating hate crimes on highlighting the contributions that Jewish Americans and Muslim Americans have made to our society. 
to show that Muslims and Jews are cooperating. They're not fighting. There's a, and I have so many, um, you know, I started in this work about five years ago without very many Muslim friends. And today I'm proud to have so many Muslim friends and so many Muslim partners that, uh, and much of our conversation is on domestic issues and we don't need to delve into other issues that may divide us. Um, maybe that's the 2.0 conversation, but where we are now is uh, let's work on issues that we can we can collaborate on, and and hate crimes is a big issue. Everyone on this call, um, you know, everyone on this 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 meeting is, is concerned with the rise in hate crimes, and and we need to be vigilant and we need to stand together. And that's really the message I wanted to convey today, and I think it's coming through from everybody is that uh, this is America. You know, we have a right and a responsibility to stand up for one another, to speak out, to get our elected officials to speak out, and. Um, we can't let a conflict overseas uh, cause any kind of division on, on either side of the conflict um, with our, with our, within our Muslim community, within Jewish community, certainly. Uh, and it's unacceptable. I mean, to speak out against yeah. it. You know, I, I want to underscore that uh, just a little story of my own. Uh, several years ago, my wife and I, we were vacationing in Martha's Vineyard. It was a weekend. Uh, it was raining and we uh, met a young white couple. Uh, that we befriended uh, while we were there, and we decided to go to a, a, a movie theater to catch the latest movie, and it happened to be my big, fat Greek wedding. And we're sitting in there, and it was a packed audience, and we're looking at the nuances of, of, of two Greek families uh, uh, trying to get together and what was going on. And the, the interesting thing about it was, although it was a Greek family in their culture, you found people whispering to each other, well, that sounds like my family. Well, that sounds like my family. You know, the human condition, as far as I'm concerned, transcends uh, race and culture and gender and ethnicity and all those things. And if we can get to a point where we can uh, get people to understand through the human condition that uh, uh, you, you can really never meet a stranger. There's always somebody that you can meet along this road of life here that we that you have some commonalities with. You know, Bill, I want to get to you with police reform in a second, but the chaplain, um, I, I've got to ask, uh, as, as a person of faith, and I'm sure almost everybody here is, if not all in, in this uh, in discussion, what are the obstacles that you see are the most daunting when it comes to dealing with the issues of eradicating hate uh, on Eastern Long Island and in society in general? So glad you asked this. I wanted to tell you that about 15, 17 years ago, we created something here on Long Island called the Multi-Faith Forum of Long Island. And it started at a time where Long Island was really a non-diverse, or it was diverse, but people didn't get to know one another. So we, we created this forum where we went to high schools, uh, universities, uh, hospitals, uh, synagogues, mosques, centers. And, and it was to present about 12 different faith groups that were here practicing, living, contributing on Long Island. So it, I, I remember uh, Rabbi Schwartz of Center for Peace. Um, he has uh, retired since then. And um, I... He said to me uh, when September 11th came around, and he said, Sana, if we didn't do all the work that we did before September 11th, we started in the 90s, a lot of stuff would have happened. But we have prepared the people of Long Island to get to know their neighbors in a, in a, in a light that is positive. 
so that when September 11th came along, we didn't really see as much as backlashes as we did in other areas. So believe it or not, um, you, you mentioned songs, and I always love to hear the song about teach the children well. And that's something that goes with Eileen when uh, some of what Eileen was saying. It, it, we begin there. We begin to teach the children well. We begin to teach the children the universality of our humanity and how we, how we, how we are so similar in so many different ways. And Eric, when you speak about the, um, uh, the Jewish-Muslim relation, it was in the 90s that we started at the Westbury Mosque, the American-Muslim-Jewish uh, Dialogue. And we used to go to different homes, um, Jewish homes, Muslim homes, Christian homes. Um, the Long Island Council of Churches did an enormous amount of work in, in creating the platform for um, diversity on Long Island. And there was a lot being done, in, and it's still being done. It will continue to get done in order to create those platforms of education to remove that fog, the fog of ignorance and uncertainty that creates hate. Human beings are very um, similar in, in, in staying away from what they don't know or what they misperceive. So we need to do a lot more of public education, um, media. Every one of us who is called an advocate has been doing their own work in their own area, in their own group. And I think it's um, it's working. It really is working. We're doing okay regardless of all of the the, the horror that are taking place. I think um, we will we are letting America be America and, and, and we're doing well. I also wanted to mention something about the police. I've been honored to be on the committee for the police reform and reinvention. Um, and, and there's a lot being done, and a lot was worked on the stop, uh, the stop issues. So um, it was approved by the legislature, is by the governor, and I think we should be able to see change coming. Um, we're going to pray on that. We should be able to see a lot of changes, hopefully, as we move forward. Um, well, you know, I want... I want to mention something about change here, and I, I want to take I want to take the sugar off this coat, because I still think that we are, in a sense, dancing around this issue a little bit, and it comes with the, a word called reckoning. Uh, there are people out there that are not like you folks that, that simply do not want to deal with the issue of hate. Uh, as far as our religious institutions are concerned, and I'm not going to make uh, mention any names. I've talked about this with at least one or two people on our panel. Uh, there are some uh, um, religious institutions, Christians, that do not want to deal with this issue of race, uh, even though uh, panels have been convened to deal with it because they feel that they're going to lose parishioners. Uh, that's a travesty. There's also another travesty that, that people do not want to deal with here. We've talked about anti-Semitism, of course, the anti-Asian uh, hate bill uh, has been signed by President um, uh, Biden. Uh, but here on Long Island, there are other multitudes of issues here. Uh, we have migrant camps uh, out on eastern Long Island. We have the Shinnecock Indians. I happen to be part Shinnecock that have been dealing with issues of race and hate uh, for a long time. Uh, you know, the black populations out there in Riverside. Of course, they have the Latino uh, situation here. 
Um, but, you know, it, it seems to be a situation, once again, where it's somebody else's problem. When are all these issues going to be our problems? When are we going to reckon with the fact that, you know, we are a country that has, has been steeped in race uh, and hatred for as great as this country is? has been steeped in these issues, but there are still people that are sidestepping this. There's a 10-ton gorilla in the room, and I want to know how we get people like lawmakers and others and leaders like you to, to take this problem head on and address it. Bill Kiley, can you answer this question for me, sir? <laughs> yeah. uh, one aspect of it is uh, uh, um, an Episcopal church in Huntington, St. John's Episcopal Church, asked me if I would facilitate a program for them that was put together by the, the Episcopal Church. And that is, the program is called Sacred Ground, a film-based dialogue series about race and faith. Um, and it's 10 parts to it, but throughout that series, before we convene, there are videos and readings. So it we focused on uh, black Americans, we focused on Native Americans, we focused on, on Mexican and Latinx Americans, we focused on Asian Americans, and we looked at, all of us, looked at a history that collectively we had never heard before. And the biggest part of that, Julian, is that when we come together, we break into dialogue circles of about eight people, and folks share their stories. And it's in those circles where folks, when a level of trust is developed, where folks share and listen, most importantly, listen to the experiences of others. And from that, at the end of it, collectively, there's this sense of other people need to know what we just heard. And, 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 it, and our hope, and it's happening now, it's beginning to spread to other congregations and other faiths. Uh, it kind of spawning, so the dialogue is is so critically important, and you know, in that regard, um, I was very, very troubled individually with regard to what had been happening at the southern border of the United States several years ago, and I, I'm a grandfather of five girls, and I used to spend a lot of time with them in the children's library, and I kept thinking, what can I do about this, and I know that there's, there, are, there are folks whose minds will never, ever be changed about it, but I decided that I wanted to address the issue of refugees and asylum seekers, which is a global challenge. We see it here on the southern border, but it's a global challenge. And that's what drove me for the first time in my life at age 70 to think about writing a children's book. Um, uh, and the result of that experience I've had so many people, I mean, it's written for seven to 10-year-olds, but it's really written for, for seven to 97-year-olds. Um, and I've had so many people contact me about this issue of how we look at, quote, the other. So whether or not we're talking refugees or we're talking about race in America, this issue of the other is something that we have. And, and, and I, I'm not sure if it was Frank or Eric who said something earlier, just triggered it. You know, I, I, I want to speak with the folks who just are silent. I, I, I don't know that I can change the mind of somebody who, you know, who, who is hardened. But the folks who are genuinely good people who just don't know what to do 
I, you know, I think that's where the dialogue can begin, and we be begin to spread that circle from there. Uh, the folks that understand that we all have a responsibility to to speak up and do something about this. Absolutely, and of course, you can, you, can, you must give us the name of the book, uh, uh, Bill. <laughs> okay, it's called it's called Hope and Freckles, fleeing to a better forest. I didn't know how to share with young minds the story of refugees and asylum seekers without traumatizing them. So that's why I decided to use the figures of a mother deer and her little fawn who have to flee from their home forest because of danger and hunger in search of a new forest. Um, so that's, that's what the story is about, Hope and Freckles fleeing to a better forest. The second book will be in the same same characters, and it will talk about the challenges of assimilation and acculturation in the new forest. All right, just just I just want to go on one second. The shameless promotion for you. How do you get How do you get this book? Uh, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's, it's available. And thank you very much, Julian, for that opportunity. Yeah. You know, all of you on the front lines here, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes I talk to Elaine. Elaine is busier than, than uh, the president sometimes getting in contact with her schedule, but she's doing so many good things as all of you are. Is there ever a point, um, and I want everybody to speak on this briefly, dealing with this subject matter, because I guess sometimes as a journalist and a political analyst, uh, I get tired of it because... It's almost like, you know, um, saying the same thing over and over again and sometimes getting limited results. Do any of you, and I want to start with you, Elaine, ever get to a point where you're saying, God, you know, am I really making a difference? Uh, are the efforts that I'm trying to do here with, with my organization making any sort of dent uh, in, this, uh, in, this, in this horrific issue? Your thoughts, Elaine? Sure. I mean, of course, you do have your moments, and I have had those moments. But it's good that I've also seen change. Uh, housing, which is an issue we started with in 2001, uh, just taking a little piece of fair housing enforcement uh, related to legal source of income. People were being discriminated against because they had Section 8, they had disability benefits, different kinds of things. And it's been a journey, but after organizing a statewide coalition um, in 2019, that amendment did go through at New York State. And as a result of the Newsday investigation, which I suggested to Newsday that they do that fair housing investigation when uh, Mr. Dolan, the publisher, called me. Um, as a result of that, the Senate, three Senate committees were so moved that uh, they held public hearings. And this year, there were 11 bills passed in the Senate, all related to uh, increasing accountability at the state level and uh, really improving fair housing. So yes, sometimes it takes a long time. Uh, but if you hang in there, you will see results. I do believe that. Um, so maybe I'm like you, Julian. I have a part of me that's an optimist. <laughs> and so uh, you do kind of need to keep, keep at it. And then it, a number of us have talked about the importance of history, 
Um, and in all of our workshops, we do a historical read around. And it's so powerful because just sticking to the facts, these are the laws, these are the policies, these are the court cases, you know, on and on and on. People are not aware because of that incomplete history that we've all learned. And it is a powerful motivator because then people see the context and it's sort of, oh, this is where we've been. This is like the same thing, just looks a little different. Um, and so there becomes a sense of we've got to take action, which is what you want in the end. You want people to feel motivated to try to do something about it. You know, times are changing, Elaine, that's so true. And uh, we've been on the precipice of change, I believe, over the past year, starting off, of course, with the murder of George Floyd. Uh, we are witnessing now the uh, 100th anniversary of the burning and demolishing of uh, the massacre of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then we also have the situation right now outside of anti-Asian um, um, uh, crimes and hate crimes uh, where, you know, Eric Post, I guess you find yourself as a tempest in a teapot in a sense because of this spike in anti-Semitism and all that is going on. Um, I, I've got to ask, dealing with this as your career and what's, what you're facing now, what are your primary obstacles in trying to basically get to a sense where there is, I would say, a ceasefire? I hate to use those two words, but I can't think of anything else that's more apropos with what's going on now uh, uh, with crimes against the, the Jewish community. Thank you, Julian. <clears throat> Primarily, I would say that the issue for us as a nonpartisan organization that works with Republicans, we work with Democrats, independence. The main issue for us is getting people, getting those on the right to realize that there's anti-Semitism on the left and getting people on the left to realize there's anti-Semitism on the right. Often we see that people get very upset when one Republican congressman says something, you know, Democrats get upset and then Republicans get upset when a Democrat says something. But we should all be angry when anybody says anything that is harmful towards our uh, towards our, you know, to our community or towards another community that we align with or any other minority community. So I think uh, the first part is getting people to um, to think with swivel headed and to think about not where something's coming from, but what's being said. Um, and just to answer your previous question, I think for me that working on so many different issues is is helpful because while we may see setbacks on certain issues and there's always new challenges, there's always successes being had. Um, I mentioned before, you know, on a federal, state, and local level, our community of conscience has seen success. Um, we're working now in Nassau County, and I'm sure we will work in Suffolk County, on the underreporting of hate crimes, um, which affects us all. A recent study that AJC did showed that 75% of Jews who experience a hate incident don't report it. And I have to believe that with the Latino community who has uh, questions about immigration status, reporting hate crimes, with the Asian American community that often feels like they may be bringing a burden to their family or their community if they say something. And all our communities have reasons why we, we don't report, maybe lack of trust in the police, et cetera. Um, it's an issue that affects us all and an issue that we're working on that's, that's really going to benefit everybody. And that's really at the crux of our work is uh, we're not focusing with this community of conscience specifically on Islamophobia or anti-Semitism or racism, but we're working on issues across the board that are, you know, if we if we work on underreporting, it's going to help all of us. If we work on hate crime reporting, it's going to it's going to help all of us. So that's really the the way that we're bringing people together. 
Uh, Julian, if I may, the, uh, the International Association of Chiefs of Police have have put a huge effort into uh, policy and curriculum development for training police officers uh, in uh, in reporting bias and hate incidents and bias and hate crimes. Um, and and even on the prosecutorial side, there's more of an effort. Even locally, the Suffolk DA's office just uh, organized a new unit to deal with you know with hate crime. But it's critically important that for police uh, that there's a clear understanding of what classifies as a bias or hate incident and then what classifies as a bias or hate crime so that if the report is made, as Eric just said, that it is uh, not only captured but that statistically we begin to capture locally, statewide, and federally uh, the, uh, the full magnitude of, of hate crimes and, and hate incidents. Frank, I want to end with you. I'm glad that you're back. We've got your video up again. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about a number of things, a, a number of things uh, during this broadcast and this extended version here. I would assume uh, where you have been, where you have walked, where a lot of us have not walked, uh, that things probably perhaps may have been difficult for you. I mean, your life may have been in danger. The question I have to ask you is, uh, do you see, based upon what you have been through and what you have dedicated your life to, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel uh, in terms of the, the efforts, the fruits of your labor? Tell us about that. Absolutely. Um, so just I want everyone to know this. There are actually a whole networks of formers, like what we call ourselves formers, former neo-Nazis, former jihadists, former Muhammadin, former gang members. We've all made a network and, and, and you can find us. It's against violent extremism. There's a whole there's life after haters groups that have made a network now that are local. Want to find a local former who's also like me because there's a lot of us. Um, I don't know if they're exactly like me. I don't want to, you know, but you know, um, there, there's low, and you can find them and bring, make them part of uh, a group that you're making. And so, the, please look into your local area. There's local groups. There's people that do like I used to do. Uh, right now, I'm more on the police reform side, but I used to do the interventions on the Nazis and people that are in those groups. So there is a lot of changes happening, and this network has been set up over the last 15 years, and it's pretty rock solid. So if you need help with anything, look into your local area. They've probably written some uh, articles, newspaper articles. You've got to find them formers and you know go down a little rabbit mm -hmm. hole but there's a lot of us out there and um we're here to help we're here to help it's our job well, I, got it. I found that leading I, real quick i found that leading that life what gave me the fullest reward was being for other people living an altruistic mm -hmm. lifestyle and being for others and the life has been so beautiful I got to tell you, you know, from uh, writing children's books to antibodies to organizations like Erase Racism, the Interfaith Center, and of course, the American Jewish Committee, so on and so forth, uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I'd just like to end with this uh, before I thank everybody here, uh, an old scripture um, uh, and it, uh, from the book of Isaiah. It's one of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament, and he says, uh, uh, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings of eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. Uh, education, patience, all of these things are tantamount in the struggle to uh, erase uh, hate from our society. And I want to commend all of you for doing what you do. It's a, it's a daunting effort, uh, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, you can't get too tired. You know, you got to rest sometimes along the way, but you got to keep it going. Um, Eric Post uh, from the American Jewish Committee, 
uh, chaplain uh, Sana Nadim from the Interfaith uh, Center from Stony Brook, Elaine Gross, of course, from Race Racism, Frank Meek, who's really been on the front lines, and we thank God for your transformation, and of course, my good friend, uh, Bill Kiley, uh, who's doing so much with his children's books and all sorts of efforts. Thank all of you for being a part of this uh, broadcast and this extended version. Uh, once again, you can go to the WLIW uh, website, FM website at WLIW.org backslash radio uh, to get more information from all of our guests who have participated today. This program, once again, is part of Exploring Hate, a reporting initiative from the WNET group on anti-Semitism, racism, and indeed extremism. Leadership support for Exploring Hate is provided by the Sylvia A. and Simon B. Poita Programming Endowment to Fight Anti-Semitism with additional major funding, program funding from the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund and Patty Asquith Kenner. And additional support is provided by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Nancy and Morris W. Offit, and Judy and Josh Weston. Again, thank everybody, and I'm sure that WLIW, the WNET group, will be providing more on this. They're spearheading this, uh, this effort, and it's a very good one, so stay tuned, and we'll hope to see you again soon.